Hey guys, remember when we took like three weeks off, came back for two weeks, and then took another week off? Well, we're back. It's Morning Radio TBD. The holiday season's a wild one, man. Like, it just, it's, <laughs> once you get, like, into October, like, it, it, the, the, the rules of normalcy go out the window. It's basically Mad Max rules at this point. It, it is, and, um, sorry guys, I mean, you know, it, it, Thanksgiving happens, uh, and then noon hits on Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden it's Christmas time everywhere. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I'm waiting for one year, maybe for the 100th, like the Macy's Parade, Santa's sleigh will come down and surprise, it's not St. Nick, it's Mariah Carey. Uh, you know what I'm waiting for at the Macy's Day Parade is the reveal at the end that it's not Santa Claus, it's it's goddamn Krampus, because I feel like that's what America deserves at this point. Is <laughs> That's the, I mean, St. That... Nick, nope, sorry, man, it's it's time for Krampus to do his thing. That's like the 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 holiday... Ghostbuster special we need maybe. Oh, I would love that. Oh the, my god, the parade, everybody, and then it's Krampus, and he's like, "You've all been terrible. Get in my sack while I beat you with sticks." <laughs> and they're gonna have to call the Ghostbusters to deal with Krampus. So uh, the, the I think the actual animated Ghostbusters holiday special is a special kind of brilliant where they accidentally oh, bust, bust the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, and then Scrooge grows up to or goes on to still become a terrible person and the whole future is changed and Christmas is awful. And they're like, Oh my God, we changed all of history because we accidentally busted the wrong ghost. They, they, so <laughs> they drove the Ecto one through a magical snowstorm that not only did they go through time, which like, you know, wrap your head around. Oh, they went through time. First of all. Yep. Uh, I was more on board with that than the fact that they went from the U S to the UK. Uh huh. For some reason, it's a magical snowstorm. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, I guess because Vankman needed to learn a lesson too. Vankman did need to learn a lesson, and uh, I mean, good for him for learning his lesson. I, he he always gets there. You know, it it takes a little bit, but he he always gets there. So we're glad that he he learned it. But a brilliant piece of of uh, animated uh, animated media. It's a fantastic episode, and it's one that I appreciate even more as an adult. Um, because Dickens' A Christmas Carol mm -hmm. is considered to be one of those foundational works that transformed what Christmas meant to society. Interesting. Okay. It's 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 attributed to A Christmas Carol, um, A Visit from Old St. Nick, also known as A Night Before Christmas. Right. And then uh, I think Steely Noct is in there, Silent Night. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in there. It's like these three were just so transformative and foundational to how we think of Christmas today. Yeah. And so to look at a Ghostbusters episode that where you're like, well, what if a Christmas Carol didn't happen? <laughs> right. Like they, 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 it's a wonderful life Christmas Carol. That is what that episode was, was they, they did the, it's a wonderful life story, but through Christmas Carol lens, uh, which is yeah. Hella and, meta. And, and brought in a little bit of uh, sound of thunder, you know, just for fun. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> um, one of the yeah the, the impact of a Christmas Carol yeah one of the things Dickens was trying to drive across was like we need to be kinder and more charitable to our fellow man like Victorian right. values kind of sucks kind of suck yeah <laughs> and we need to kind of be be better we're all right. kind of Scrooge right now we all kind of need to like chill the chill the bloody fuck out Mike and um. <laughs> So it's 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 kind of cool. Like you can either 
take a college literature class that kind of talks about this. Or you can spend 23 minutes watching a Ghostbusters episode. <laughs> get basically the same lesson. You could spend 23 minutes and read the book. It's not that long. Oh, yes. Okay, fair. But, uh, you know, do you want Slimer or do you want or Marley? 1800s prose? Like, come on. I mean, like, I think what I increasingly appreciate, because I, um, since Christmas is is like pushing back against spooky season and I feel like I, I get less spooky season every year. I've really been enjoying the fact that, you know, telling ghost stories used to be a Christmas tradition, which is where a Christmas carol comes from. And so I'm increasingly seeking out like, you know, the the movie Krampus, Gremlins, uh, Scrooged, which is a, you know, a kind of terrifying modern take on uh, on a Christmas carol. Um, because I love the idea of venerating ghost stories during the holiday season. I think that's, I think it's missing. (laughs) No, it's very interesting. If you study folklore and like traditions going back quite a ways, uh, Christmas would be virtually unrecognizable. Uh, that has a lot more in common with Halloween than, than what we think of as Christmas. Yeah, the the Yuletide. It's like you know the, the that's. It, it, I mean, it, it was a pagan holiday, just like Samhain or what you know we now know as, as Halloween. These were these were pagan holidays. These were pagan celebrations that were Christianized during you know the Christian expansion of the 1400s. I think is when that really started to get snuffed out. I think it might have been earlier, but yeah, yeah, it it's, it's, yeah. I, I can't pinpoint. There was not a precise date. Right. I wish some monk had written it down. February 7th, 1224, <laughs> approximately 2.37 in the afternoon. We have stamped out the last of the paganism of, what are you doing with that tree? <laughs> Someone has brought a tree in. <laughs> well, and like the, the, even the, the act of putting lights on a Christmas tree harkens to when they would burn the Yule tree, right? Like they would decorate the Yule tree and then they would burn it. They'd light it on fire because it would bring warmth. It was a celebration kind of thing. And so we put electric lights on ours to kind of, you know, it's pretty. It's it, right. Exactly. <laughs> I had to buy a new tree this year. Did you? So this year we wanted to do something special uh, because this will be the first year in a long while that like the in-laws won't be okay. with us. And uh, so we were going to be like on our own as an immediate family unit. And I was trying to think of different things to do this season to make it a little more special. And one of the things I wanted to do was it's like, oh, maybe we can uh, try a real treat this year. Okay. And I first mentioned this back in September. My wife was on board. Cut to like a week before Thanksgiving. She's like, eh. Less on board at this point. (laughs) Well, because the caveat was going to be, I don't want to buy it right after Thanksgiving. I want to wait maybe a week because I want to make sure the tree doesn't die before Christmas. Yes. Yeah. And she was like, I'm not on board with waiting. Like, we've got to get that tree up. Stat. <laughs> so we're like, fine, we'll just go with our, our tree. Okay. And so we go put our tree up and uh, half the lights are out. Oh, it's a pre-lit. It's a pre-lit. Got it. Didn't know they were fine last year, mm-hmm. but sometime in storage, it decided to just fuck off. Yeah, that sucks. So we had to go buy a new tree and it's beautiful. It has pull technology. Oh. Yeah. It's a... Okay. Uh, you don't have to plug the different sections together. It's powered through the pole. That's kind of nice. Yes, and brilliant. Except now, I don't have a way to light the star. So, mm. yeah, a little bit of a design flaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, Thanksgiving's out of the way. 
We're in the it holiday is. season. Yep. A uh, bunch of holidays are coming up. Uh, of course, the the big C everyone knows about. Uh, Hanukkah's coming. Mm-hmm. Kwanzaa's coming. Boxing Day's coming. Boxing and then Day. before you know it, yeah. it'll be the new year. Yeah. Uh, that's coming up quick. Like, it will be 2024 in 31 days. Yeah, that's nuts. It is. Uh, 2023 um, feels like it took... I don't know, nine years to get started and then about 27 seconds to end. I know. I mean, we, we will we will be at a, a year of this podcast before you know it. We will be. Yeah, That's we're, we're coming up on it. We're coming up on it real quick. Um, and speaking of this podcast, which we're currently doing, mm-hmm. uh, I there, there are a couple of topics that have come up this past year on the podcast that need a revisit. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm kind of stoked about this. OK, let's do it. All right. Well, first up. You folks might remember over the summer, uh, the Supreme Court was doing a bunch of doing a bunch of stuff, doing a bunch of stuff, passing t- judgments on a bunch of things, but also uh, apparently raking in the sweet, sweet fat loot on yeah. the DL. To, to be fair, they they weren't they weren't doing stuff this summer. It was just it was being discovered everything that had been going on like that's it, it was being kind of like uncovered like some some media archaeologists suddenly went through the closets and were like uh anybody realize that there were some skeletons back here why, why are there all these skeletons in this closet and uh now we have a better sense of uh just exactly what the supreme court's cozy relationship with financial power is and uh you might remember we had a guest on to kind of better illustrate for us just what the Supreme Court should be doing, what they actually do, scope mm-hmm. of their power, stuff like that. Correct. Um, well, guys, the Supreme Court released a code of ethics <laughs> this past, uh, what, week? Maybe the week before? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it was a week or two ago, yeah. Yes. Um, bravo. They wrote their own rules. They wrote something. <laughs> they did. I think it's kind of funny that the people who are accused of doing the bad thing got to write their own rules about whether they were doing a bad thing. Well, hang on, let's let's be let's parse the word rules here because there was a lot of should not in their ethical code. So it wasn't shall not like we are not going to do this. It's mm, we probably shouldn't, which to me is a tacit admission of oh, but we're going to. But oh, naughty us, mm, naughty naughty us. <laughs> Like, if shame you, on us. I will not hail my head high while I do it. Uh, nope. I, I will self-flagellate afterwards. Uh, but I am going to continue. Just to be clear, I'm going to continue to take the multi-million dollar bribes. Like, that's, that is, but I shouldn't. Naughty me, I shouldn't. Um, like, th- that's that's the way the whole thing reads. It's all of these should nots. Well, so prior to this, the Supreme Court has never had its own code ethical of code. ethics. Yeah. They, they have, it's being kind of a unofficial understanding that they would follow a similar code of conduct to what lower court judges are held to mm-hmm. and what they should and should not do. Uh, but there was, it was never explicitly uh, stated. Sure. And now it is sort of. Yeah. Pro- yeah. It's it, 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 it. So um, not to, to bring like the, political black hole uh, into this conversation but it, this is this is a really interesting it, to me this is a really interesting artifact of the post Donald Trump era where um Donald Trump basically and we've discussed this on the the podcast before love him or hate him he he essentially exposed the fact that most of the United States government 
operates on a set of understandings and with the um, with the assumption that everybody will operate in good faith. But there actually isn't as much codified into the way that the government works as I think we all sort of assume there is because things have just always been done a certain way. And Donald Trump really has pushed the boundary of if it is not written down, I am going to do it. Um, and so what we are really seeing is the rot in our judicial system that this is that kind of bending of the rules or bending of the norms or understandings has been going on for quite some time. And the fact that because it is not written down that they must act in a certain way, they act in what is, I, I mean, I, I think most people can look at and say this is egregiously irresponsible and unethical. And our justices have simply always operated that way because there's nothing to rein them in. But we're now beginning to understand that better because we're, we're living in a time in society where people are asking questions about what is the norm in American government and going, God, after this Trump guy, like, how do we even know the way that these things are supposed to work? And as people ask those questions, these sorts of things are increasingly being challenged in a really interesting way. What is particularly interesting is that the Code of Ethics has no enforcement there's procedure no in place. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no – we all know that the, the three branches of the government are meant to be checks and balances on each other. Mm -hmm. But there is nothing really in place here to censure the Supreme Court. Yeah, um, this, is a, uh, this is another aspect of, again, something we've talked about on this podcast before, Congress abdicating, uh, abdicating its duties. Congress should be the check on the Supreme Court. Congress should be able to basically say if if the Supreme Court is making rulings that are so wildly out of touch with public sentiment, which they have been, Congress has recourse, right? Congress not only, I mean, impeachment seems a bit extreme, but like Congress can theoretically defund the Supreme Court, right? Like they, they, they have, there's actions that Congress can take to kind of check them. But because Congress, namely passing laws, right? If Congress wanted to, they could pass laws and or amendments. We talked about this on our Supreme Court segment. We, they could pass amendments to the Constitution to create new law that the Supreme Court cannot undo. Congress hasn't done anything meaningful in terms of legislation for years. So the Supreme Court is the one who is increasingly determining what the law in the United States is. There was an interesting book that came out uh, just okay. recently. Or actually, no, I'm sorry. It's not out yet. It's coming out. Uh, it's called The Shadow Docket. Yeah. Colon. How the Supreme Court uses stealth rulings to amass power and undermine the republic. Yeah. So you can assume that there might be a slant on this. <laughs> on this. Uh, oh, wait. Or did it come out? It, I, I think it did. I actually, I, I was listening to uh, the author talk about it uh, pretty recently. Yes. So you probably listened to the same NPR segment I did. Um, <laughs> More or less. Probably. He... But what, what is interesting is he mentions about how once upon a time Supreme Court did not have as much power right. as it did. Yep. And so we got to put the like the asterisks next to the always you said earlier um, because these are – there's a path to follow. There's a trail to follow to how things get to where they are and choices that are made. Sure. So I, I, I'll caveat the always that I was talking about was just sort of like the, the level of deep corruption that exists within within the judiciary. Like the – the amount of power that they now use to exercise their corruption, that has increased. Absolutely. But I think it's probably fair to say that the Supreme Court has long been a corrupt institution. That's that's disheartening to hear, sir. I Well, I, 
I, I am increasingly a nihilist about American politics. I know. I just think if, if too much of us are and we just lose complete faith in everything, like it, this is all it, this is all kind of it, it, it all balances on the social contract, mm-hmm. you know, and what value do you place on the word of anyone, including yourself? Yeah, uh, because you could at some point just decide none of this matters, mm-hmm. kind of like this code of ethics. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's that, that's the thing though is is it, it is an it is an increasing realization among the American populace that our government does not actually act in good faith. That far too often it acts in bad faith, um, or at least a segment of it does, and it is a powerful enough segment that it has impeded the advancement of American society for largely the last several decades. Like uh, America should be in a much different place um, in terms of its social contract and governance uh, than than it is right now. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is, is that if you if you ask people if you're in favor of a progressive uh, platform, they'll say, "Oh God, absolutely not! No, crazy! I don't want any of your nutty socialism." But when you ask them about the individual issues. Um, things like a, a stronger social social safety net, uh, a higher minimum wage, um, basic gun protections, all of that pulls overwhelmingly among the American populace. And that is the progressive platform in the United States. Um, but it's because all of those things should have advanced farther than they than than they have at this point. And we just our, our, our government is holding back society. You can't change too quickly. I disagree. You have to do it incrementally. I I, I disagree. I, well, actually, I'll, I'll let me let me caveat that. Fifteen years ago, I would have agreed with that. As it stands today, because we have been in a, a place of complete inaction in terms of advancing the American public's interests uh, for arguably since prior to um, probably prior to the two thousands. We now require transformative change. We can't do incremental anymore. We cannot be like, well, we, you know, we have to just a little bit at a time. We can't do that at, at this point because we are so, so far behind. We, we need radical change uh, in order to in order to realign the people's expectation of their government with what the government actually does. So, no, I, I, I don't think I don't Taking, think it's incremental. If I take that statement out of context, you sound like a MAGA. Well, but this is the interesting thing. <laughs> no, I, no, you're not, Josh. You're not wrong. I know there, there is alignment between the progressive left and and MAGA. Like it, it, there, there are actually there are policy agreements. If you get right down, because uh, you know, yes, there is a there. There's a a, a rot in MAGA that is grievance driven, and uh, there there is a a particular wing of it that is is just the most heinous kind of. Uh, of uh, uh, racist and, and and bigot. There is, however, also a a a not insignificant segment that is economically disaffected. And if you ask them, their kind of burn it down mentality, you know, start the whole government over, comes from that disaffection of economics. This is why, like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's not all politics; it's all economics. There is some alignment in terms of what policy both sides are after the approach is entirely different however and unfortunately because of the way that that maga is 
The way that MAGA has been told to understand the issues, they quite often vote against their own self-interest because there is a I mean, this is now this is going to sound like, you know, just lefty conspiratorial, but there there is a propaganda machine on the right that is driving a narrative that causes most people in the MAGA movement who are economically disaffected to actually vote against their own self-interest. If you actually pull them on the, the topics, they might surprise themselves and find out just how in line they are with certain progressive initiatives. Mm, sounds like you're manipulating their words. <laughs> That's the thing is like. There, there is common ground to be had, but there is a machine in place to keep people divided because that's good economics for the people in the 1%. Well, speaking of economics in the 1%, yeah, I'm going to get off the Supreme Court. Okay. And uh, we will talk about another topic that was very early in our podcast. Okay. Uh, if you, I don't know if you remember, but uh, very early on, I was very pissed off about eggs. <laughs> we did a whole episode on it. I think it was episode three. Is we've got my, <laughs> third or fourth <laughs> I episode? Was, I, I think it was know. episode three. Yes, but I was ranting about eggs in the larger context of we were talking about inflation and uh, just how groceries and day to day products became way too expensive. We're talking economics again. We are. We are. <laughs> All right. Settle down. Continue. <laughs> uh, yes. But we were talking about uh, the day to day and talking about the prices yep. going up and being astronomical and yep. how even at Aldi, I was getting close to $5 for a thing of eggs. Yeah, it was wild. Now, at the time, we talked about how there was uh, stories about uh, the bird flu coming through. Uh-huh. And really wiping out and uh, farmers having to cull their flocks to make sure uh, they didn't spread. And that was part of the reason why eggs were so high. Well, then a new story broke this past week. Is this about the the chicken farm in Ohio that culled like a million and a half birds? A little more broader than oh, that. Okay. But just talking about how uh, the justice system has weighed in and said that a big egg, I believe that was your, your, your wording. <laughs> Probably. Um, that big egg conspired to inflate egg prices. Well, son of a bitch. Well, now hold on, because this story comes out, and I was like, no way. Followed by, how come I haven't heard anything about this? Yeah, this is interesting. I haven't heard anything about this either. I'm, I'm very curious now. This court case is from a lawsuit filed back in 2011. Holy shit. The last economic, big economic crisis. Yes. So uh, the timing is weird, but apparently it looks like Big Egg has a track record of manipulating egg prices for financial gain. I'm like, I want to say I'm floored, but I'm not. Uh, do you ever see um, the sequel to Supersize Me? No. Morgan Spurlock did a, a follow up to Supersize Me. This this is related, I promise. Um, did a, a follow up where he basically wanted to find out, like, what does it take to actually open a quote unquote healthy fast food restaurant? Like, basically, he wanted to see, can I make a fast food restaurant that's actually healthy? That was the initial like thesis statement. The whole thing ends up becoming a massive indictment of the poultry industry in the United States and, mm. and like understanding just how predatory big poultry actually is like i i make it a point to avoid tyson like they were the black plague in the 1600s because tyson is one of well, those that's just a gross chicken 
I, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Tyson is one of the most evil um, corporations in terms of like American agriculture that has ever existed. They are fucking awful. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that, yeah, Big Egg has tried to price fix. Yes, the uh, the the from Reuters back on November twenty second. Yeah, um, top egg producers were found liable for unlawfully inflating prices. Uh, it was an antitrust trial against a group of egg producers, which includes uh, Calmain Foods, which is yeah. the largest egg producer, and Rose Acre, the second largest. Um, those are just including them. But do you know who the fucking plaintiff are, is? It's not the American people. Who is it? It's not the U.S. versus Big Egg. It's fucking Kraft and General Mills. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know that that makes me feel any better about the situation. No, it makes yeah. me feel horrible. I'm so mad. I'm like, wait. I I was all set to be excited about Big Egg getting what's that's coming to them, but no, now because there's going to be like a, a second trial that's going to determine the damages that are going to be awarded to, to f- and- these other fucking companies. Yeah, don't love that part. No, because Where's you my- know. Do we need to file a class action? How does this work? Well, we need a legal expert. You, you know, we do need a legal expert. I, I, I mean, you, you know that like Kraft and uh, uh, who is it? Kraft and who? General Mills. General Mills. There's, There's other ones too, but the, the, those are eye popping. Whatever the damage is that they end up winning, it's not like they're going to use that to subsidize prices for a little while and take some of the stress off of their own um, inventory, right? Like they're they're going to leave prices way up. Kellogg, um, Ke- Nestle. Oh, I'm sure Nestle is hurting so much Fuck you, from Nestle. the price gouging of eggs of eggs. Yeah. Get fucked, Nestle. That's awful. But the plaintiffs have spent hundreds of millions of dollars for egg products. I, it's so unfortunate. So, so unfortunate. I, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked that this doesn't have a, uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm shocked this is not uh, an example of trickle down economics headed towards the American public where we we actually do get some kind of benefit from it. Um, uh, terrible, terrible. Uh, yeah. So this uh, the, the case is known as Kraft Foods Global Inc. versus United Egg Producers Inc. Okay. Uh, if you want to look it up, listeners, um, it's kind of like when you have to like who do you want to win in a fight, mm-hmm. the Joker or Ted Bundy? Yeah. It's <laughs> like just. Can can they both lose? Exactly. Can um, they both lose? Uh, what was a? Uh, oh, was that the tagline? I don't know if it was the Freddy Jason movie or Alien vs Predator, but he was like, it no was, matter who wins, we lose. Is Alien vs Predator Requiem? Oh, okay. It was the second one because I was like, that is a brilliant tagline for a fucking awful movie. Yeah, it's like whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> we lose. Yeah, yeah, whoever wins, uh, we lose. Well, playing out in real time, uh, I was, I was. I was like, oh, man, they're getting him for that that price fixing bullshit of Nope, this was this. This case is like over 10 years old. It's it it is a 12 year old case that was being fought between corporations. And that's this is this is how slow the justice system goes like this is so stupid. Well, and and it's exactly it's it's exactly the reason that um, Trump kind of rightfully assumes he can probably run out the clock on some of his cases. Um, because, uh, the shit moves so slowly and some of that is to protect the individual, right? Like it's, it's to give it, it's to, to make sure that, um, you, you can't be completely railroaded by the system. Although that's still largely determined, uh, determinative of your socioeconomic status. Um, but yeah, man, justice is not, it, it does not move quick. 
No, this, this is 12 years, 12 years to figure out the whole egg situation. Can you imagine being one of the lawyers on that case? Like, what do you do after it's finally over? Well, considering that these are two big, like, organizations, I'm pretty sure they were just milking the clock. Probably. Jesus. Again, don't know anything about the legal system. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I thought it was kind of funny to have some egg price-fixing news where they're like, hey, uh, maybe these egg guys aren't on the up and up. (laughs) Turns out eggs, uh, they're they're shady. They're shady, the eggs are. Yeah. You're bound to find a few cracks in their organization. Yeah, the South Side Omelets, man. That's a real, <laughs> that's a real heinous organization. Hey, Jimmy, <laughs> it's, why don't you sunny side that mother sucker? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go talk to Big Benedict. Gotta talk to Big Benedict. <laughs> you know what happened to Benny? Huh? <laughs> they drowned him in his own hollandaise. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so within a week, uh, two former topics of the podcast resurfaced, and uh, I just I felt we need to mention them. I, I it's it goes back to like history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme, you know. And right now, <laughs> right now we're like rhyming steaks s t e a k s with steaks s t a k e s. Like it's just you really you can't rhyme those two, but they do kind of rhyme. So that's that's the sort of history that we're in right now. Shit's a little too close for comfort. It's yeah, yeah, a little bit. Uh, but yes, a quick note about chicken, just because you brought up Tyson chicken. Go for uh, it, folks. Uh, unsolicited advice. I picked this up from a Men's Health, like probably back in 2011. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, if you go to the store and you get the chicken breast, yeah, big giant fucking chicken breast. Yep. Uh, you'll notice it has a lot of white striations mm. in the chicken breast. Uh, that is an indicator that that chicken is a low quality food. Like it, it passes an inspection. It, it is certified as chicken that is safe to eat. But in terms of like, is it really beneficial for your body in, in actuality versus on paper? Um, yeah, the, the meat that have the, the, the chicken that has that, the more white striations, uh, the worse it actually is for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Like the, 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 the counterpoint is, is like, you know, white meat like poultry is always going to be better for you than red meat. So even if you're getting low quality chicken, it's still better for you than most beef. But yeah, if, if, if you're seeing a lot of those fat lines in the chicken, it's just not as lean. It's not as healthy. It's it, it's, you can make better decisions is the the point. Yes, um, you can. And if you're, you're someone that's like, you know, you, you budget pretty uh, stringently. Uh, I get it. Yep. But uh, spend the money on chicken. I, uh, I actually just, um, so I use butcher box. That's where I get my meat from. Okay. Um, I've, I've been a big fan of it for a couple of months now. And, uh, they recently asked for my feedback on my butcher box experience. And I was like, not know, sponsored one- by the way, not sponsored. Yeah, no, just uh, legitimately enjoy butcher box. Um, the one thing that I said that I was like, you know, the, the, what holds me back from recommending this to more people, uh, unfortunately is the price point. Like I'm in an okay position that I'm able to budget for this because my, my, Health is so important to me and my diet is so important to me that this is a choice that I make within the budget that I have available. But unfortunately, I think this is out of reach for uh, a lot of people, especially like working class families. Um, that was the feedback that I, I left them. This is not going to change my decision to use it. I still I love the product. And like I said, I'm OK spending that money on it. Um, but like high quality meat is it's not it's not cheap. Like it's 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 not like everything else these days. It's it's expensive and yeah. like you have to budget accordingly for it. Um, I like to go 
a lot of times I get my meat from from Aldi. I yep. go to Aldi, and even at Aldi, I'm kind of really picking through it to be like, okay, what is uh, as less striations as possible? Yeah, as uh, much as you is, can, which is hard to do. It is um, a lot of times my chicken breast is the Springer Farms mm. uh, individually vacuum sealed packs, sure. which every few weeks goes on sale at Publix for like seven bucks. It's normal price, I think, is like ten. Yeah, um, which again, that's I mean, that's kind of expensive. Yep, Publix is also expensive as shit anyway. So Publix you know. is. Uh, but every few weeks goes on sale for six ninety nine, uh, and you have I, I think six or seven uh, breasts in there, and you're yeah. like, oh, this is a tiny breast. That is a proper sized <laughs> breast. <laughs> I, I saw a really interesting image the other day that it was it just showed the difference between a chicken from like the 1940s to a chicken now, and it's it's pretty astonishing how much bigger we grow them now. Like they're they're sort of mutants. <laughs> That's something we'll have to go into at a later time. Is yeah. um, the difference in in foods uh-huh and uh you know you, we talked about the incrementalism of government and uh, there's something to be said about the incrementalism of day-to-day human life and mm-hmm. one of those is our foods so the fact um, that even if you follow the same diet of people from the 1930s the food is actually less nourishing now because we have so blown up our our environment yeah, I, I think we'll. Uh, that might be a topic for in the new year. Something to that talk sounds, about. That sounds like a, a happy way to start off the new year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! So that's the note about chicken and yep. eggs. And uh, we're we're not we're still not clear which one came first. So please don't ask us. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't ask. Uh, we will find the answer, listeners. We, we will. We, Keep we will listening. Get to, the, get to the bottom of it, but. Uh, I've yeah, interviewed we don't many chickens, <laughs> interrogated many eggs. Some well, of my methods are a little egregious, uh, <laughs> including dipping them in boiling water for extended <laughs> periods of time. Do you, do you do you enjoy since we just came through Thanksgiving and I did not have any of these this year, which I'm a little disappointed at. Do you enjoy the deviled egg, Josh? Do you enjoy deviled eggs? I like them. Yeah, they're, they're I, good. I, I don't I don't seek them out. But if someone okay. has made them, I'm like, yeah. You know who makes surprisingly good deviled eggs, and I feel weird about this because I, I just I feel weird about certain products anytime I get them from a deli. Publix, yeah, the Publix deviled egg is great. Just a, the, you better flick the freaking olive piece off of it. Yeah, I'm not as big a fan about the olive. But. Don't th- that, like why? Why? And it's not on every deviled egg. It's on like the one. Like it's like right, a decoration. Yeah. Uh huh. Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> Keep your devil olives. Devil olives. Yeah. yeah. I just can't do it. I know they're so good for you, but I can't. You got it. You got it. You, you should be doing the olive oil then, at least. I do. I do. Okay. All right. Good. I do olive oil. It's fine. Good. Good. Um, I'm really annoyed. We can't talk about George fucking Santos because <laughs> uh, we're recording before the vote is handed down. Um, so there's that's going to be hopelessly out of date by the time we come to that. There is a commentator on CNN who um, was making the case uh, that George Santos is the mascot for American politics that we deserve. And I, I couldn't disagree with him. I was like, I, he, he made some, he made some weird arguments about George Santos basically deserves to stay in Congress, which I fundamentally disagree with. And I'm sure we'll talk about next week to, based on how the vote goes. But he was like, yeah, this is, this is the, this is the congressional, uh, uh mascot that America has deserved. We are not the high minded individuals that we like to think we are. We are running up credit card deck at Hermes and watching OnlyFans. Like, that's what we're doing. <laughs> and I mean, I have no problem with, uh, you know, hey, 
do what you got to do, man. Just don't yep. use my money to do it. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I can't talk about George Santos next week. Next week. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. It's fine. How's Moby Dick? Josh, I've stalled. I, I, I have to finish it. Like I, I, I'm at 55% in my Kindle. Um, so I, I refuse to not finish the book. Like I'm going to, but I, um, I, it is, I, I, I think what's going to end up happening. Cause I, at some point I'm going to release my long anticipated, um, video essay on the nightland, uh, which I've been like casually working on in the background for a while. And the more that I work on it, the more that I'm like, this is a complete unmitigated disaster. It's a mess, but I don't care. I'm going to put it out in the state that it's about to come out in. Um, and the nightland and Moby Dick, uh, are books that I, I, I know that in the future are going to continue to live in my head rent free. Like I will never be free of the nightland. It, it I, now that I have read it, it will always have a piece of my soul. I feel like Moby Dick is going to be the the same way. They are both books that I think the argument can be made. This is why you need a high quality editor behind your material because holy crap, there are, there are these instances of brilliance where it's gripping and intriguing. And then it's filled for like pages and pages and pages of just dretch after that. I'm like, what does any of this have to do with, with the thesis, right? What does any of this have to do with, with the actual journey? And they're both books that are, are written to replicate the sense of the journey that you're supposed to be on. I'm going to make an argument that doesn't make for good, uh, engaging literature. Um, I think that after a certain point, you sort of need to get off that part of it and just things need to happen. So, um, I'm sure that there is a, uh, a, a literary community out there who will vehemently disagree with me and that uh, tell me that I'm missing the point of the art. And maybe that's the case, but holy shit, something needs to happen in this book. Like I, I don't <laughs> want to spend a whole chapter learning about whale steaks. I'm sure they taste very good. I, I, I actually, I'm not oh, sure yeah. of that. I, I have, I, I have nothing to back that statement up with, but I, yeah, sure time, he goes, he goes on about the whale steaks, the way it just, far too mm. long about the whale steaks and and how upset the guy who killed the whale was over the way that his steak had been had been cooked he was just furious about it apparently and <sighs> my god move on <laughs> well we look forward to your uh nightland dissertation the, the yeah um I, I am going to, I, I am literally already planning a reaction video to my own video where I talk about everything that I, <laughs> I did poorly in my own breakdown, which to be clear, the, and cause I, now I'm like, I, I have to do something similar with Moby Dick because I it, like, it's going to be a book that lives in my head rent free. And I just want to talk about it. My nightland, uh, video essay kind of props itself up as this sort of critical analysis and deconstruction, but it really is just about an hour of me bitching about the book. And so as an opinion piece, I think it works quite fine. The more that I like spend time with what I wrote, I'm like, you know, as an actual critical breakdown, I kind of fail like all over the place. Like it's just, it's, it is not a well-constructed argument. I just kind of rant, which again, for a video essay, I think that's fine. But if I wanted it to be taken seriously as a critical analysis of the nightland, no, it's, it's a fucking disaster. Um, but, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, talking a little bit about Moby Dick there. Um, uh-huh. Go on. Maybe we should go ahead and pivot into yeah. sperm. 
we're gonna we're gonna lose listeners, Josh. We're just we're, <laughs> the, the the FCC is already breathing down my neck. Like we can only hope <laughs> that we could be so controversial. As to <laughs> yeah, okay. third episode in a row. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, throwing the the S word out there like that. But, but uh, I do have more sperm news. I enlighten me. <laughs> Well, it turns out I'm shooting blanks. Uh, we have no. It's not a personal story. Get, this is about to get real, real. <laughs> uh, no, no. But I did make a choice uh, a couple years ago, and uh, I am. But uh, uh-huh. that's not the that's not the subject we're going to talk about. Sure. sure. Um, so there's been something that's been bugging me now for I guess was it a year ago? Maybe two years ago, around this time. Okay. Uh, there was a big push in me in in the news media where they were talking about the global declining birth rates Mm, yes and just around the world people are having way less kids and i remember especially the new york times and their daily podcast Mm -hmm. had several different episodes you know they're 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 essentially tackling the same story but they're coming at it from these different sides right about the decline in birth rates and i'm thinking to myself well yeah it makes sense because on a certain level, that's kind of a, a a facet of homeostasis, right? If something's out of whack, you have to balance it out. Mm-hmm. So, in a world of dwindling resources, and uh, you know, if your daily struggle is real, you're not going to procreate, right? It's economics. Yeah, it is, it's economics. Well, <laughs> apparently, it's not just economics, though, sir. Okay. All right, because listen to this shit. Um, I don't oh. know if you've noticed in in recent years. I feel like I'm noticing more and more, and this could be like a uh, a false correlation or okay. or whatever you want to call it. But in recent years, we talk we hear people talk more and more about their struggles to conceive, their struggles mm. to get pregnant and yeah. maintain, bring a pregnancy to term. Yeah, and uh, more and more people are getting uh, IVF mm. treatments and uh, trying so hard to conceive and it's like why are we struggling so more now well first are we struggling more and more now or is it just we're more aware of it you know kind of like all of a sudden i I definitely yeah i I definitely hope part of this is a destigmatization of ivf and and fertility treatments because that is a legitimate struggle for women and it's one that i think has been in the shadows for a long time and needs a little bit of daylight yeah and i'm like it could be you know it could be like homosexuality where and and uh gender identity where it's just it's, it's becoming more and more um, acceptable right. to talk about it. We're encouraging people to become more aware of it. That could be a thing. Um, yeah. Or it could actually be on the rise. Certainly. And uh, why would that be? And there's probably some misogynists out there that want to be like, oh, yeah, these damn women and they're, they're only fans in and they're not, uh, you know, taking care of themselves. And so God don't want them to have a baby. Well, <laughs> Actually, there's been a study going on. Uh, there's I found an NBC story as far back as 2017. Okay, talking about a decline in male fertility. Ah, well, yes. I, I I do know that um, male health in general has been on a, a a substantial decline in recent years. So much so that the military is struggling with recruitment because not because they don't have enough people raising their hand, but because they don't have enough people who are physically fit enough to actually like survive boot camp, which nothing against boot camp, right? Like it's, it is definitely, it's, it's a difficult thing, but it is meant for average people to be able to complete. You come out far more fit on the other side, but if you are an average human being going in, 
and you just have the right mindset and the willpower and the grit, you are supposed to be able to complete boot camp. It's that is basic training. And the army can't find enough people to even get through basic training. And that might be something we go into a little bit more tied into the whole food thing. Yeah. In the new year. Um, but, uh, I came across a new story on NBC again this past like week or so where um, where the scientific research is right now is they're finding a lot of links mm-hmm. between the decline in male fertility yep. to common pesticides. Oh, interesting. Yes. There's still a lot more study to be done, mm-hmm. of course, but um, they're saying right now the connection is pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and it's pesticides that are just kind of like, every everyday use um you know going 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 back decades so you know you got to think about what's in the food we eat Mm -hmm. what we're exposed to in our day-to-day like it's just they're 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 finding substantial link have Um, you ever have you ever read a silent spring no oh it's chilling it was it, it was a required reading for like my honors bio course back in you know, sophomore year of high school. And I remember at the time thinking it was like the dullest thing I'd ever read, but like in retrospect, it's, it's a frightening examination of, um, the impact of, uh, the rise of use of chemicals on, on crops and, and, uh, how that not only impacts, um, human society, but basically the, to borrow your word, the, the homeostasis of earth's ecosystem in general. So there's, there needs to be more study into specifically how, Sure. Like carbamates and organophosphates are interacting with the body to dramatically reduce the sperm concentration hmm. that the, you know, your sperm count. Yeah. Um, which is leading me to wonder if that criminal sperm we talked about the other week, if it's an anomaly, uh, <laughs> if that is a, a mutated sperm, uh, a, a mutation. Uh, Very this possible. Is the, this is the sci-fi movie just waiting to be written. It's, it, it is, it it's is going to be a terrible movie. I was going to say people will talk about the Andromeda strain blade runner and broken sperm. Like those will be, you know, the the (laughs) from the producers of eight mile. I I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're going to go a different direction with it. First film that came into my head. (laughs) Uh, Don't know why. Um, but they're 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 cataloging like sperm concentration, um, also how they're shaped, how they swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all it's all it's all tied in. So it's just it's something that's very interesting and suggests that uh, may not be women's fault. Well, I I think the the suggestion that it was ever women's fault in the first place is a flawed suggestion. Like if if that was a legitimate argument, then then that's one that that should have been examined a little bit more critically. Uh, like it takes two. It does. It is a it is a two part process, and and the I mean I, this would be getting into just a, a larger conversation about um, the the way that we approach sex in the United States. Period. But like the idea that it, it, the burden exists solely on one side or the other um, is antiquated. I think scientists need to take a few samples of Nick Cannon sperm and really oh. do a, a cross analysis and see um, why he is succeeding. Versus I, the average population. I think Nick Cannon is simply, I, I don't think there's anything special about him. I think he is simply an illustration of the law of very large numbers, right? <laughs> 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 Be like, what do you mean I only have 19 kids? 
Right. <laughs> exactly. Like I tried 900 times. <laughs> Christ. Oh my goodness. Uh, but yeah, that's my sperm news. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. That, um, one, it, it, it dovetails nicely into our earlier conversation about um, chickens and eggs and just, you know, this is, it, it is it, the, what's, what's the, um, what's the physics principle that everybody's always trying to prove, but hasn't been, there's like the unified theory or something that basically like ties together relativity and gravity and all that, like it's all connected. Right. Exactly. This is there, there, uh, there is an interesting, um, theory of unity between everything that we have done to our environment, uh, and this planet, uh, in general and the general sort of decay of the human race homeostasis baby yep sure is it's the constant struggle for balance shit needs to be in balance yeah um the there was i read an interesting thing about wolf populations and how they bounced back um oh no it was about um elk populations somewhere in like one of the national parks or something had grown so much but when they reintroduced the gray wolf Mm -hmm. back into the wild and everything the elk numbers came down which allowed a lot of other things that the elk were destroying to regrow and remanifest in the ecosystem. And it was a, and it, it reached a certain strange balance. how it works, right? Like it's almost like nature knows what it's doing. <laughs> nature cannot be reached for comment at the time of this nature recording. Cannot be reached. I mean, there's something similar going on uh, in, in uh, the Scottish Highlands. They're trying to rewild them because um, the deer populations are actually so out of control that they have stripped all the trees off of the mountains. And so the mountains look very stark and bare. And uh, to the Scottish population, it's it's striking how uh, empty the, the highlands look right now. And there's a project to rewild them. Well, so what predator is missing? Uh, that's a great question. I, okay. uh, I don't know the... I, I will follow up. Yeah, because I'm wondering, because I'm like, yeah, you could organize annual hunts i guess to kill x amount of the elk but probably the better thing to do would be to you know figure out what their predator is supposed to be yeah i didn't feel particularly guilty about eating venison stew while i was there oh my god i'm so jealous i was just helping the trees grow back exactly well and as someone who uh whose family owned a tiny little group of of pygmy goats Mm. uh yeah uh destructive as shit (laughs) (laughs) they they ripped through this whole section of the property like and yeah. we used to have a so we had like a we had a fenced property and stuff but in the front we had this natural barrier of like these um uh what kind of tree i think they were like they were some kind of like cedar juniper yeah. tree mm-hmm. and stuff and they prevent they they were basically like a, a privacy natural sure. privacy fence so you couldn't see into the property right well the goats were on one side they were fenced in there and over the course of two years they obliterated all the vegetation on that side and including killing a good chunk of those trees because they stripped the bark off and you know oh my god it was incredible terrifying <laughs> the appetite of a pygmy goat but they're so goddamn cute well they are they're 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 wonderful i i thought it'd be fun to have a goat uh, if i ever moved into a house to keep the lawn in check but it turns out they're a lot more work than a lawnmower is so you know yes Yes, and you never know when a, a, a young goat is just going to spontaneously kick flip off of you. Uh, oh, <laughs> they just my God. prance around. They'll be like, "Hey, parkour!" <laughs> and like that was my sternum. Cool, thanks. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. 
No, goats. Goats. Yes, oh well, in Scot in Scotland it was deer. It, yeah. it was deer. Yeah, it was it was, it was deer in, in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I saw footage just uh, the other day of um, an elk leaping through the forest. Okay. I know where Santa's flying reindeer myth came from, dude. <laughs> the, a flying leap, literally a flying leap. He covers so much ground. I, I mean, I can't measure it. I would have to trust whoever the videographer said it was. But you are talking um, easily almost the length of my house. I mean, it's it, it's funny, like stuff like that or um, like when you look at uh, the, the one that I always think about is like watching a movie like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or any of the Kung Fu movies where people like, you know, zip line fly from once. It's an exaggerated version of what, you know, human beings at their absolute peak are capable of doing, right? Like when you look at it, like acrobats or uh, martial artists, they're, they're able to perform something that the average human being looks at as superhuman. Um, and it, it, similarly, you see an elk knowing how fucking big elks are to watch one launch itself. It's not a, it, it's not a far excuse the the pun it's not a far leap to understand like where flying reindeer the idea of such a thing would come from you're like well if the elk can just you know what could 10 of them do how yeah. many reindeer are there there's eight i think there's eight shit it's fine i'm i'm out of date on my santa lore man well the santa lore changes incrementally year to year <laughs> and it depends on you know your your culture and yeah uh santa claus santa claus and uh Papa noel, noel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love Santa lore. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love Christmas tradition lore. There's, there's um, some good ones out there. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because it does pertain uh, kind of directly to us. And uh, I have to, I guess I have to acknowledge uh, my failure on mm -hmm. this side is, um, you know, we, we launched a Facebook page and a, a, a Twitter yeah. page for morning radio. Mm -hmm. I am absolutely terrible at keeping up with them. <laughs> But also, in particular, uh, I've been kind of wondering more and more if we should even bother with Twitter. Anymore. Yeah, uh, Twitter is um, Twitter is really interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll say this real quick. I think the uh, the unapologetically punk rock thing to do is to continue to post on Twitter as a resistance, you know, and and just like continue to spit in Elon Musk's eye. Um, I think that the the platform is increasingly a, a a place for toxicity, rampant conspiracy theory, misinformation, and like just the worst of public opinion to, to surface. It what Elon Musk has done to Twitter in such a short time is genuinely astonishing. Like it is it it is it is stunning. Um, so I have not gone near the platform in several months. Um, I just I, I I do not wish to participate in in that space. Um, it is something that has shown itself in the past to be a public good. Um, I think we still need something like Twitter, but what it, it its current state, I don't know that I can support people utilizing the platform. Like it's it's pretty terrible, and it is made further terrible by the ketamine-addled brain of a petulant billionaire whose narcissism and uh, latent childhood rage drive him to make stupendously idiotic decisions. No, and we could have a whole separate diatribe about Elon Musk, and maybe we will next episode, yeah. um, because that would be fun. But specifically about Twitter, like okay. I, I, I rarely post on there anymore. Yeah, um, but I definitely scroll through there every day, mm -hmm. and I 
randomly come across uh, some good stuff. Some some of it is is fuel for this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. Oh, there's a just a lot of there's a lot of ignorance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of charged opinions. Right. Because you can't just be a person with an opinion. You have to be a person with an opinion. And if you disagree with me, I hope you burn in hell. Well, and, and so some of this isn't Twitter's fault. Some of this is um, the algorithmically uh, across all social media platforms. The fact that they're measured by, quote unquote, engagement. Yes. Um, which engagement is what? Is, why did I just have balloons go? I have. OK, so, yes, you have had bubbles at times. You have had balloons now. I don't know what's happening because I haven't pressed any buttons. I, I, I swear my finger is off the trigger over here. I don't know what's going This is to the listeners. Um, see, now we're going to have to release video of this because people are going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? I've had weird animations popping up on my uh, on my screen. So it's I I don't fully understand. Is it tied it. into notifications on your phone? I don't think so. Did someone change your phone settings to get like happy I, fun time? Yeah, that was that was weird as hell, man. I, I'm starting to wonder if shit's haunted over here. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, tied into engagement. Engagement is driven by what the, the the platforms read as conversations, which usually is people rage responding to, from one thing to another. It is it is an attention economy. And the best way to get attention is to try and one up somebody else. Like, I, I don't understand why the children on TikTok are eating sticks of butter right now. But the best guess is it's better than the borax thing. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just people trying to do weird shit for attention and then having to one up one another in order to continue to get attention. Right. So what is the responsible thing to do at this point? Because if I get off Twitter... If I disengage from this platform, I do miss out on the chance to engage in some funny content, uh, Mm -hmm. but also be randomly informed of things that I had no idea about in the first place. Yeah. Um, But also I just see so much rot. It's, (laughs) it's a really, it's a really tough conversation because there are, there are increasing studies that show the more time you spend away from social media, the better your overall mental health is. And not just from like a mood perspective, but like your attention span, your ability to process information. Um, one of my favorite uh, content creators is Kurzgesagt, and they do, they usually provide me with a weekly existential crisis about uh, the most terrifying things in the universe, which I it, oddly enjoy. Um, Who is that? Uh, I'll I'll have to text you the, the uh, it's a German word. It basically, it means something like short Kurgestad. learning. Yeah, okay, because it yeah. sounds like it's spelled K R S S R K S S T Z. It's it's K U R Z G E S T A T. I think it is. Uh, I I'm, I I immediately question myself with that. I, I have no idea that that was correct. But um, they did a really they did a really interesting video recently about how we basically have interpreted social media and its detrimental impact on society the wrong way, and that really the the most useful thing to have for the internet at this point would actually to be to go back into silos where communities were much smaller and they they talk about like the the psychology behind it all i'm, I'm not going to try and explain it um it, it, i i genuinely recommend that our listeners go and, and watch the video because it's it's truly fascinating but basically he, human beings were never meant 
to interact on the scale that that we are. You talk about like things that hap- have to ha- happen incrementally. The way that we evolve, this is one of them. We we have not evolved uh, to be able to mass communicate in the way that social media asks us to, and that we are we are actually much better at finding commonalities with people that we diametrically disagree with if we meet them in a smaller community. We have to meet them in a smaller community like a neighborhood or back in the days of like chat rooms and forums. That's where you could find better discussion and better interaction. But because the global community now all exists on these massive platforms where you have access to anyone and everyone, our brains are not equipped to socialize in this way. And uh, it's not just that the the platforms themselves are kind of terrible. They are. But the, the, the human psyche is not prepared to interact in this in this manner. So we need smaller social media. Yes. I mean, Maybe legitimately. Rid of Google Plus. <laughs> um, no, it, it's it, like, it, yeah, it, it, one of the things that they talk about was like, do you remember the days when you would leave the Internet? Which, you know, for some of us geriatric millennials, like I vividly remember the days of like you would log on to the Internet, you would go to the places you wished to go to, and then you would log back off. Oh, my God. Again, and this is a thing I found on Twitter was someone posted a meme of it was it was basically an image of the the dial up screen. Yeah. You know, uh, that old Windows 95 uh, screen. And the, the tag was like, millennials don't understand the struggle. I was like. Bitch, that was our time. That was our time. Yeah. Gen Z doesn't do know understand. the struggle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Gen Z doesn't. If, and I was it, like, it, I can't deal with this misinformation. If, if you're the kind of person who refers to things published in 1994 as the late 1900s, you don't understand dial-up. Um, <laughs> but for <laughs> for those of us who are, you know, 80s babies, um, dial-up was, if not like the formative years of our internet experience, certainly some of the very early ones. Um, but uh, there, even even when you got to a point of like DSL and cable internet, there was still a point where you walked away from the internet. And our constant sense of connectivity is really fucking with people um, because we don't we we don't we don't truly disconnect anymore. You are always a step away from something that is is internet connected. Um, you know, and namely for most people, it's it's their smartphone, right? But like your your iPad, your um, smart TVs are fucking internet connected. Your uh, your computers, right? It's, it's we are we are in a constant state of of over exposure to a community that is far too large for our brain to really comprehend. And is that tied into the ever increasing mental health crisis? So it, it certainly is. It absolutely <sighs> is because it. The the again, what they get into in this um, this breakdown is just the this the biological and psychological going on of the human brain and um, the human brain evolved to be in a certain state of awareness. And uh, the the way that social media functions exacerbates the worst instances of how our brain operates. And uh, it's 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 actually it's quite dangerous. We're now really starting to understand why and it goes beyond just you know the social rot and um you know people there's there is a coming crisis josh of people being able not being able to live up to truly unrealistic beauty standards 
not because of human beings, but because of what AI invents. Like AI image generators are going to be able to generate versions of human beings that are far more beautiful than will ever be born into the world because human beings are by their nature completely imperfect. Um, but that's also, I think, is part of the beauty of being human is our imperfection. But there, there is a coming crisis of attraction uh, in in society because people are going to see these images that are uh, AI generated shared around on these massive social media platforms and then never be able to find a mate in the real world because they're trying to position them next to something that is computerized. And these are, these are, again, the worst instances being brought about by the way that we share information these days. This got way bigger than I thought. I was just wondering <laughs> if I should get off, of, get off of Twitter. I've got my Facebook under control because I, I, I barely go on there. Um, so, I, I think the like the the short answer to that question, like so many other things, is no. You don't have to leave entirely if you find some value in it. Just moderate yourself. You know that's that that it's the same thing with like I like whiskey. It doesn't mean I should drink a bottle of it at night. Also, doesn't mean that because it's not the best thing for me, I should never enjoy it at all. You moderate your intake. It's the same thing with with social media. I think people, I, what I don't think people necessarily realize just how online they are. It's something that I am really auditing in my own life right now, um, and setting up all kinds of blockers to stop me from spending time on social media after a certain point. Is this why um, you don't answer my texts? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I mean, it legitimately, Josh, I'm I'm putting my phone on a cradle more and more often and treating it as a landline so that I am not physically connected to my phone as, as much anymore because I don't want to be. I don't want to be exposed uh, to these things as, as often as, as I am. So I think people should moderate their social media uh, intake. I think that most people might be surprised at just how much time they spend on social media if they really looked at it honestly. But I don't think I like walking away from Twitter entirely. Again, if you find value in it, I don't think you need to walk away from it entirely. It's just I'm just trying moderate. to figure out is like, do am I actually finding value in it or am I finding well, distraction? And that is um, that is the question that I'm asking myself on a daily basis with Instagram. Yeah. Is do I what every time I open the app up now, I actively ask myself the question, what are you looking for? And if I don't have a good answer for myself, I leave. Um, you know, like I, there are some people on Instagram that I like to keep up with, um, that, that are, you know, old buddies of mine from Indianapolis, things like that. But largely my use of Instagram, I realize is a, it's a distraction. And so I'm walking, I am trying to walk away from that. I'm trying to break that habit actively right now. I guess it's a, a struggle between, um, not wanting to be distracted and influenced by dumb shit, but also FOMO. Yeah. I, what if I, I miss out on the good shit? Well, but that's that is part of like the the psychological manipulation that that social media has engaged in and and creating this sense of FOMO. Keeping in mind that when we were in much smaller societies and had much smaller social circles, you weren't worried if you grew up in Iowa about what people in Los Angeles were necessarily doing, right? Like you might be interested in it. You, you might be a kid sitting on a uh, on a bed with a guitar on their knees thinking, one of these days I'm going to play in Hollywood. I'm going to play in a rock and roll band, right? But you didn't necessarily have this sense of, oh my God, the world is passing me by. Look at all these people doing all this ama these amazing things. And you're constantly being bombarded with that that sensibility. Like I, 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 this is a really old guy comment to make, but 
we did just fine without all of this, not 10 years ago, you know, like we did just fine with all of this, without all of this 15 years ago, people were okay. And society moved along. <laughs> Things still happened. Uh, it is a, it, it could, social media, Twitter, all of it could function as an enhancement to the human experience. But I think we are really starting to understand that in its current state, it is a detriment to the human experience. It has some positive aspects. Twitter has been, uh, has been critical in certain social movements over the last couple of years. It, it, it has had very positive moments, but on the whole, in terms of how it operates in terms of human psychology, the prevailing research shows that it, it, it's pretty bad for you. Stay tuned uh, when we uncover the scientific study about how social media is lowering men's sperm count. <laughs> On our next installment of sperm. I'm sure it's coming, Josh. I'm, I'm sure it's I'm, coming. I'm sure it is. Well, and it was uh, it was funny because when uh, not to go back to the sperm conversation, but reading some of these articles about the the uh, decline in, in in sperm count and stuff, yeah. and some of the uh, some of the researchers were asked about, you know, well, what about, you know, what they say about the cell phones and the tight underwear and stuff. And they're like, no, that's the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever fucking heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, who's, who's to say, who's to who's, say who's I'm, to say? I'm waiting for Apple to be like, well, the iPhone's fine, but the, <laughs> the Samsung galaxy S 10, that's a, that's a dangerous item to have. That's a dangerous. That's a dangerous <laughs> item. Okay. As an Apple fanboy, can I say, Apple? I don't know what the fuck you did with this recent iPhone update, but Jesus Christ, it has been an awful experience. Like it, it, it bricked my phone for a number of hours. Like oh yeah, like I, I, I was I. It wouldn't turn on. Completely black screen. Couldn't get like even plugged it in, ah. and I didn't get like the little. And I was like, my phone's gone. I was like, and it was the day before we left for Thanksgiving. I was like, it's it's gone. It's over. And and like I'm not hurting over here. I'm just like pissed because of the inconvenience. It did eventually come back on, but it was hours later. Like, and everybody. I think every I few years, about. there's yeah, there's there's an Apple update that does that either to the iPhone or the iPad, and it, it's just. Yeah, you just have a a temporary brick situation. Just, and, they they yeah. fucked this one up. Everybody I'm talking to, they're like, what the hell is wrong with my phone? I'm like, did you update it to 17.1? Because that's what's wrong with your phone. Get it together, Apple. Yeah. Did you do the thing I told you? What? A couple episodes ago. Oh, no. I told you about how you need to treat your phone like a computer and you need to... Oh, no, I haven't. Re-optimize. Yet. Okay. Well, I, I should. At this point, I'm going to say, well, maybe wait until their next patch. Oh, you think so? <laughs> well, if this one caused so many problems, I don't, I don't know. Um, I was I, I was actually legitimately terrified that I'd lost all. The, the only thing that I'm really worried about on my phone is my photos. And so like now I'm, yeah. I'm going to do a full backup. But I had actually just moved everything over to iCloud days before it did this. So I was like, well, thank God okay. for that. But yeah, that's good. Nearly bricked it. OK, uh, well, I think that's an episode. I think so, too. Uh, I think there was a, an interesting theme to this episode that we didn't intend, but um, the whole <laughs> everything's connected unity theory thing. It is. Um, and like just talking about like weird, weird coincidences. Just now, my iPhone uh, has brought up a, uh, hey, see what's new in the new version that you just updated to um, since you're, you're com- apparently complaining about it. Why don't we show <laughs> you everything that your phone can do now? Uh, 
I, I would look forward to hating on Apple a little bit in a future episode. Okay, um, we can do that. Because the problem with Jon Stewart got canceled. And yeah, I'm, that, uh, there's I'm certain... A, I'm angry about that. There's Well, and there's some certain reasons being thrown around as to why that I found very interesting. Yep. yep. So, uh, but that's, that's at a different time. Yeah. Uh, for now, folks... We're back. We're going to try to be back for the next few weeks. Uh, I'm not going to promise you anything for Christmas or New Year. Because yeah. <laughs> holidays be holidaying. Holidays be holidaying. Yep. But we're here now. And we'll probably be here next week as well. We'll be here next week, yeah. Send me your, send me your sperm stories. S- send them to Josh. Please don't send them to me. I'm, I, I am not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about them in this forum, but I, I, I don't want to be bombarded with sperm stories. <laughs> Keep it classy, people. Keep it classy, San Diego. <laughs>